Section 10 of The Prussian Officer and Other Stories. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Prussian Officer and Other Stories by D. H. Lawrence. Daughters of the Vicar, Chapters 10 and 11. Chapter 10. By the big gate of the railway in the fence was a little gate that he kept locked. As he unfastened it, he watched the kitchen light that shone on to the bushes and the snow outside. It was a candle burning till night set in, he thought to himself. He slid down the steep path to the level below. He liked making the first marks in the smooth snow. Then he came through the bushes to the house. The two women heard his heavy boots ring outside on the scraper and his voice as he opened the door. "'How much worth of oil do you reckon to save by that candle, mother?' He liked a good light from the lamp. He had just put down his bottle and snap-bag and was hanging his coat behind the scullery door when Miss Louisa came upon him. He was startled, but he smiled. His eyes began to laugh. Then his face went suddenly straight, and he was afraid. "'Your mother's had an accident,' she said. "'How?' he exclaimed. "'In the garden,' she answered. He hesitated with his coat in his hands. Then he hung it up and turned to the kitchen. "'Is she in bed?' he asked. "'Yes,' said Miss Louisa, who found it hard to deceive him. He was silent. He went into the kitchen, sat down heavily in his father's old chair, and began to pull off his boots. His head was small, rather finely shapen. His brown hair, close and crisp, would look jolly whatever happened. He wore heavy moleskin trousers that gave off the stale, exhausted scent of the pit. Having put on his slippers, he carried his boots into the scullery. "'What is it?' he asked, afraid. "'Something internal,' she replied. He went upstairs. His mother kept herself calm for his coming. Louisa felt his tread shake the plaster floor of the bedroom above. "'What have you done?' he asked. "'It's nothing, my lad,' said the old woman rather hard. It's nothing. You needn't fret, my boy. It's nothing more the matter with me than I had yesterday or last week. The doctor said I'd done nothing serious. What were you doing? asked her son. I was pulling up a cabbage, and I suppose I pulled too hard, for, oh, oh there was such a pain. Her son looked at her quickly. She hardened herself. But who doesn't have a sudden pain sometimes, my boy? We all do. And what's it done? I don't know, she said, but I don't suppose it's anything. The big lamp in the corner was screened with a dark green so that he could scarcely see her face. He was strung tight with apprehension and many emotions. Then his brow knitted. What did you go pulling your inside out at cabbages for, he asked, and the ground frozen. You'd go on dragging and dragging if you killed yourself. Somebody's got to get them, she said. You needn't do yourself harm but they had reached futility. Miss Louisa could hear plainly downstairs. Her heart sank. It seemed so hopeless between them. "'Are you sure it's nothing much, mother?' he asked, appealing after a little silence. "'Aye, it's nothing,' said the old woman, rather bitter. "'I don't want you to—to—to to, to be badly, you know?' "'Go and get your dinner,' she said. She knew she was going to die. Moreover, the pain was torture just then. They're only cosseting me up a bit because I'm an old woman. Miss Louisa's very good, and she'll have got your dinner ready, so you'd better go and eat it. He felt stupid and ashamed. His mother put him off. He had to turn away. The pain burned in his bowels. He went downstairs. 
The mother was glad he was gone so that she could moan with pain. He had resumed the old habit of eating before he washed himself. Miss Louisa served his dinner. It was strange and exciting to her. She was strung up, tense, trying to understand him and his mother. She watched him as he sat. He was turned away from his food, looking in the fire. Her soul watched him, trying to see what he was. His black face and arms were uncouth. He was foreign. His face was masked black with coal dust. She could not see him. She could not even know him. The brown eyebrows, the steady eyes, the coarse small mustache above the closed mouth, these were the only familiar indications. What was he as he sat there in his pit dirt? She could not see him, and it hurt her. She ran upstairs, presently coming down with the flannels and the bran bag to heat them, because the pain was on again. He was halfway through his dinner. He put down the fork, suddenly nauseated. They will soothe the wrench, she said. He watched, useless and left out. Is she bad? he asked. I think she is, she answered. It was useless for him to stir or comment. Louisa was busy. She went upstairs. The poor old woman was in a white, cold sweat of pain. Louisa's face was sullen with suffering as she went about to relieve her. Then she sat and waited. The pain passed gradually. The old woman sank into a state of coma. Louisa still sat silent by the bed. She heard the sound of water downstairs. Then came the voice of the old mother, faint but unrelaxing. Alfred's watching himself. He'll want his back washing. Louisa listened anxiously, wondering what the sick woman wanted. He can't bear if his back isn't washed. The old woman persisted in a cruel attention to his needs. Louisa rose and wiped the sweat from the yellowish brow. I will go down, she said soothingly. If you would, murmured the sick woman. Louisa waited a moment. Mrs. Durant closed her eyes, having discharged her duty. The young woman went downstairs. Herself or the man, what did they matter? Only the suffering woman must be considered. Alfred was kneeling on the hearth-rug, stripped to the waist, washing himself in a large panchion of earthenware. He did so every evening when he had eaten his dinner. His brothers had done so before him. But Miss Louisa was strange in the house. He was mechanically rubbing the white lather on his head with a repeated, unconscious movement, his hand every now and then passing over his neck. Louisa watched. She had to brace herself to this also. He bent his head into the water, washed it free of soap, and pressed the water out of his eyes. Your mother said you would want your back washing, she said. Curious how it hurt her to take part in their fixed routine of life. Louisa felt the almost repulsive intimacy being forced upon her. It was also common, so like herding. She lost her own distinctness. He ducked his face round, looking up at her in what was a very comical way. She had to harden herself. How funny he looks with his face upside down, she thought. After all, there was a difference between her and the common people. The water in which his arms were plunged was quite black. The soap froth was darkish. She could scarcely conceive him as human. Mechanically, under the influence of habit, he groped in the black water, fished out soap and flannel, and handed them backward to Louisa. Then he remained rigid and submissive, his two arms thrust straight in the panchion, supporting the weight of his shoulders. His skin was beautifully white and unblemished, of an opaque, solid whiteness. Gradually Louisa saw it. This also was what he was. It fascinated her. Her feeling of separateness passed away. She ceased to draw back from contact with him and his mother. There was this living centre. 
Her heart ran hot. She had reached some goal in this beautiful, clear male body. She loved him in a white, impersonal heat. But the sunburnt, reddish neck and ears, they were more personal, more curious. A tenderness rose in her. She loved even his queer ears. A person, an intimate being he was to her. She put down the towel and went upstairs again, troubled in her heart. She had only seen one human being in her life, and that was Mary. All the rest were strangers. Now her soul was going to open, she was going to see another. She felt strange and pregnant. "'He'll be more comfortable,' murmured the sick woman abstractedly as Louisa entered the room. The latter did not answer. Her own heart was heavy with its own responsibility. Mrs. Durant lay silent a while, then she murmured plaintively, "'You mustn't mind, Miss Louisa.' "'Why should I?' replied Louisa, deeply moved. "'It's what we're used to,' said the old woman. And Louisa felt herself excluded again from their life. She sat in pain, with the tears of disappointment distilling her heart. Was that all? Alfred came upstairs. He was clean and in his shirt-sleeves. He looked a workman now. Louisa felt that she and he were foreigners, moving in different lives. It dulled her again. Oh, if she could only find some fixed relations, something sure and abiding. How do you feel? he said to his mother. It's a bit better, she replied wearily, impersonally. This strange putting herself aside, this abstracting herself and answering him only what she thought good for him to hear, made the relations between mother and son poignant and cramping to Miss Louisa. It made the man so ineffectual, so nothing. Louisa groped as if she had lost him. The mother was real and positive. He was not very actual. It puzzled and chilled the young woman. I'd better fetch Mrs. Harrison, he said, waiting for his mother to decide. I suppose we shall have to have somebody, she replied. Miss Louisa stood by, afraid to interfere in their business. They did not include her in their lives. They felt she had nothing to do with them except as a help from outside. She was quite external to them. She felt hurt and powerless against this unconscious difference. But something patient and unyielding in her made her say, I will stay and do the nursing. You can't be left. The other two were shy and at a loss for an answer. Wessel managed to get somebody, said the old woman wearily. She did not care very much what happened now. I will stay until tomorrow in any case, said Louisa. Then we can see. I'm sure you've no right to trouble yourself, moaned the old woman but she must leave herself in any hands. Miss Louisa felt glad that she was admitted, even in an official capacity. She wanted to share their lives. At home they would need her, now Mary had come. But they must manage without her. I must write a note to the vicarage, she said. Alfred Durant looked at her inquiringly for her service. He had always that intelligent readiness to serve since he had been in the Navy. But there was a simple independence in his willingness, which she loved. She felt, nevertheless, it was hard to get at him. He was so deferential, quick to take the slightest suggestion of an order from her, implicitly, that she could not get at the man in him. He looked at her very keenly. She noticed his eyes were golden-brown, with a very small pupil, the kind of eyes that can see a long way off. He stood alert at military attention. His face was still rather weather-reddened. "'Do you want pen and paper?' he asked, with deferential suggestion to a superior, which was more difficult for her than reserve. "'Yes, please,' she said. 
He turned and went downstairs. He seemed to her so self-contained, so utterly sure in his movement. How was she to approach him? For he would not take one step towards her. He would only put himself entirely and impersonally at her service, glad to serve her, but keeping himself quite removed from her. She could see he felt real joy in doing anything for her, but any recognition would confuse him and hurt him. Strange it was, to her, to have a man going about the house, in his shirt-sleeves, his waistcoat unbuttoned, his throat bare, waiting on her. He moved well, as if he had plenty of life to spare. She was attracted by his completeness. And yet, when all was ready and there was nothing more for him to do, she quivered, meeting his questioning look. As she sat writing, he placed another candle near her. The rather dense light fell in two places on the overfoldings of her hair, till it glistened heavy and bright, like a dense golden plumage folded up. Then the nape of her neck was very white, with fine down and pointed wisps of gold. He watched it as if it were a vision, losing himself. She was all that was beyond him, of revelation and exquisiteness. All that was ideal and beyond him. She was that, and he was lost to himself in looking at her. She had no connection with him. He did not approach her. She was there like a wonderful distance. But it was a treat, having her in the house. Even with this anguish for his mother tightening about him, he was sensible of the wonder of living this evening. The candles glistened on her hair and seemed to fascinate him. He felt a little awe of her and a sense of uplifting that he and she and his mother should be together for a time in the strange, unknown atmosphere. And when he got out of the house, he was afraid. He saw the stars above ringing with fine brightness, the snow beneath just visible, and a new night was gathering round him. He was afraid almost with obliteration. What was this new night ringing about him? And what was he? He could not recognize himself nor any of his surroundings. He was afraid to think of his mother, and yet his chest was conscious of her and of what was happening to her. He could not escape from her. She carried him with her into an unformed, unknown chaos. End of chapter 10 Chapter 11 He went up the road in an agony not knowing what it was all about, but feeling as if a red-hot iron were gripped round his chest. Without thinking, he shook two or three tears onto the snow. Yet in his mind he did not believe his mother would die. He was in the grip of some greater consciousness. As he sat in the hall of the vicarage, waiting whilst Mary put things for Louisa into a bag, he wondered why he had been so upset. He felt abashed and humbled by the big house. He felt again as if he were one of the rank and file. When Miss Mary spoke to him, he almost saluted. An honest man, thought Mary, and the patronage was applied as salve to her own sickness. She had station so she could patronize. It was almost all that was left to her. But she could not have lived without having a certain position. She could never have trusted herself outside a definite place, nor respected herself except as a woman of superior class. As Alfred came to the latch-gate, he felt the grief at his heart again and saw the new heavens. He stood a moment looking northward to the plough climbing up the night and at the far glimmer of snow in distant fields. Then his grief came on like physical pain. He held tight to the gate, biting his mouth, whispering, Mother! It was a fierce, cutting, physical pain of grief that came on in bouts as his mother's pain came on in bouts, and was so acute he could scarcely keep erect. He did not know where it came from, the pain, nor why. It had nothing to do with his thoughts, almost it had nothing to do with him. Only it gripped him, and he must submit. 
the whole tide of his soul, gathering in its unknown towards this expansion into death, carried him with it helplessly, all the fritter of his thought and consciousness caught up as nothing, the heave passing on towards its breaking, taking him further than he had ever been. When the young man had regained himself, he went indoors, and there he was almost gay. It seemed to excite him. He felt in high spirits. He made whimsical fun of things. He sat on one side of his mother's bed, Louisa on the other, and a certain gaiety seized them all. But the night and the dread was coming on. Alfred kissed his mother and went to bed. When he was half undressed, the knowledge of his mother came upon him, and the suffering seized him in its grip, like two hands, in agony. He lay on the bed, screwed up tight. It lasted so long, and exhausted him so much, that he fell asleep, without having the energy to get up and finish undressing. He awoke after midnight, to find himself stone cold. He undressed and got into bed, and was soon asleep again. At quarter to six he woke, and instantly remembered. Having pulled on his trousers and lighted a candle, he went into his mother's room. He put his hand before the candle flame so that no light fell on the bed. Mother, he whispered. Yes, was the reply. There was a hesitation. Should I go to work? He waited. His heart was beating heavily. I think I'd go, my lad. His heart went down in a kind of despair. You want me to? He let his hand down from the candle flame. The light fell on the bed. There he saw Louisa lying, looking up at him. Her eyes were upon him. She quickly shut her eyes and half buried her face in the pillow, her back turned to him. He saw the rough hair like bright vapor about her round head, and the two pleats flung coiled among the bedclothes. It gave him a shock. He stood almost himself, determined. Louisa cowered down. He looked and met his mother's eyes. Then he gave way again and ceased to be sure, ceased to be himself. "'Yes, go to work, my boy,' said the mother. "'All right,' replied he, kissing her. His heart was down at despair and bitter. He went away. "'Alfred!' cried his mother faintly. He came back with beating heart. "'What, mother?' "'You'll always do what's right, Alfred,' the mother asked, beside herself in terror now he was leaving her. He was too terrified and bewildered to know what she meant. "'Yes,' he said. She turned her cheek to him. He kissed her, then went away in bitter despair. He went to work. End of chapter 11 End of section 10